This episode of ArcaSpeak is supported by NCARB. You have the power to influence the future of how architects are educated, trained, and licensed. Take the analysis of practice survey today. Stop the work. People like to joke about that term in the office, and and everybody is also at the same time terrified of it. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you you say stop the work, it's like you you are stopping the freight train literally. So there's the there's there's a variety of different directions we can go on that that term stop the work. There's internal, and there's the construction project. And the, oh, there's so many. Yeah, you're right. Well, so if you're in the design process and you're saying stop the work because of, say, non-payment or delay payment or things like that, and there's that because let, let's just use any of the projects that we've probably worked on in the past that you know we've worked. I, I remember there was one project where we we worked for eight months before we even had our contract signed. Yeah, that which is illegal. But it happens all the time. It People happens. are working without signed contracts because oh, yeah, the, de- yeah. the the construction deadline never never changes. No matter what, no matter how like screwed up the whole process is to get everything in place, that that deadline, ultimate deadline, still won't change, which is also ridiculous. Which you know, again, when you're now working eight months for free, essentially, because you don't sign a contract, which means that you can't build towards that contract because you haven't signed the contract. So you, so there is no contract and you're working and working and working. I mean, when do you, you know, like, when do you stop the work? (laughs) When do you stop the work? But, but then you have a project and you, you know, and and a lot of times, most everybody will say, well, you know, I mean, we're, we're eventually going to get paid. This is a good client, you know, right, right, right. We've, you know, we've worked on It'll all work out. And so, you know, we, we rationalize the non-payment so many different ways that it tries to make us feel better about, you know, continuing to basically uh, work for free. Potentially, right? Because the project could just go away. That's happened it, to me as well. It's like, oh, absolutely. We got all the way through schematic design submission, even submitted it, gave them the, the deliverable never got paid and it just it just went away so yeah so then you so so then you have that project and then so then you get to the point where you're like okay well we've had enough we're going to stop the you know we're going to stop work on the project then you've got another like which direction do we go do we continue to work on it and keep all of our people on it or do we start those people working on other projects that are billable and we'll never get them back. Right. Because a staffing is total, total issue here because it, you, once you get somebody on a project, there's momentum there and you want to keep it there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, because then, so say you lose those people and then you restart. Now you have to basically restart the project somewhat over with on a staff that doesn't have the institutional knowledge that the people who came off of the project. Cause you don't I mean, want to pull them off the new project that they're on. Cause you don't. On. Exactly. Yeah, right. And I had a couple of projects ago, we had that very issue. It's like, you know, we had a slowdown. And so, you know, we, other, other projects needed help. We, you know, somebody who was doing all of our code review and everything else and was doing this fantastic job of basically doing our model management and doing the cartooning 
of the set and all of this other stuff. So he was like really so organized that that's the kind of person that you want on the project doing all of those tasks and stuff. And then we, we, we lost him on the project. And, and so we were like always playing catch up on all of those other things that we didn't have time to do because we were doing other things. And clients don't understand this because we live in a world of like overabundance of, of everything. If you, and, and I'm not talking really about right now, and I'm even wondering now if there's a way to help clients understand this issue because of what we're experiencing now with supply chain issues, things like that, where it's like, no, you actually can't get what you want right now. Because it's not available, because of all of these other variables that have become issues in the getting it to where it's ultimately supposed to be, end up where it's supposed to end up at. Like if if you expect to go to the store and find the thing on the shelf, so many other things have to happen before it to actually end up on the shelf, which has been completely invisible to everybody. And and because clients kind of tend to act as consumers of architecture. There, this is why people like to buy a model home or a tract house is because there is this supply of them available and they can go pick one out. They feel like they're shopping for architecture. I'm going to go pick one out because it's already done. It's an, it's a known quantity. It's not this cloudy design process that they're spending their life savings on and not, and seeing, not seeing things happen because they're happening in a black box of a typical architectural practice, right? Which is go away and work on it for a while. And then ta-da, here's your design, which is, you know, a lot of people experience design that way, which is like this, again, very black box experience. I'm wondering now if there's a way to say through the architectural process to kind of connect the dots between the real world mechanics and logistics and staffing and all the things that are happening in an office when there are slowdowns in the pipeline that are out of our control, how does that affect project outcomes? Whereas before it was like, because that was so black box and back of house and, and not exposed to the client, maybe now there's a way to say, Hey, you know how like you can't get toilet paper. Yeah. That's what this project is like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I doubt it, but I, I can dream. So many ways to take that, you know, this project's like yeah. paper route. <laughs> this project, there's our show title right there. <laughs> this project is like toilet paper. That's interesting because, you know, we've, we've had, I, I remember early on in COVID where we had multiple conversations with both the client and the contractor, well, the, the CM, that they were, you know, we, we had talked about like project delivery like timelines, assessment of supply chains, making sure that, okay, if we start, can we actually start? Can we get the things that we need for so, like the first six months? Well, and and yeah, what are the things you need? And And since we're not in charge of means and methods, right? And if it is a typical like design, bid, build, man, there's so many things out of your control there. You can't even speak intelligently to that conversation without having somebody who is deep in the supply chain ordering process to understand what that's actually like. Because I was talking to an architect the other day and he's like, we can't finish our punch list on this project because there are no electrical outlet cover plates available right now. And it's like, what? And it's, yeah, we can't finish quote unquote the project without these cover plates as, as one example, like there's many more. (laughs) And if you think about it, like just that 
you know, small example. That's a super small example. And you're, you're talking about stuff that you need early in construction. It's yeah. like, well, what about stuff to actually finish? Oh like, my you gosh. Know, how hard is it to get structural steel? How hard is it to, I mean, let's take it even back to how, how hard is it to get labor? Because like right now, not only on the construction side, but even on the architectural side right now is really difficult to find staff. And, and because everybody is looking and, you know, I, I, I purposely have kept from like even way before, even, even the job before Air St. Gross, I, I, you know, kept my name on these, um, like job search websites more specifically because, you know, a, a lot of times you know, we've on the show have talked about like the job market and in some cases it was like you can't find a job because there's you know nobody's really looking and so it's it's kind of interesting to see throughout kind of just the history of our show like this kind of like ebb and flow of of you know demand for staff and right now there's literally such a massive demand for staff and you're only talking about design staff look at and then we're only talking about design staff and contractors the same thing i've i've had this con I've, I've had this, you know, conversation with, you know, not just our CM on a project that's starting you know, um, construction now, but, but other CMs for other projects that, you know, they're just, they have issues as well. And so not only can that one architect not finish the punch list because of not being able to get cover plates, but they can't, they can't get somebody to put the cover plates on. <laughs> right. Ken, Ken has screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you got construction skills. I could turn a screwdriver. You're hired. <laughs> exactly. Here, you you are my project manager in charge of cover plates. <laughs> oh, and also make sure that all of the screws are aligned. So back to this whole idea of of stopping the work, or you know, based on a, a number of issues that come up during design again like there is definitely an allergy to that within design firms for good reasons but also i think there's some basic survival stuff going on that people maybe aren't <laughs> they they're not i don't know giving giving enough attention to and and questioning because i think that is very much just like a natural reaction which is no we get we can't stop even though we're not getting like even though you point out all these glaring alarms going off it's it's your basic survival tech you know th- those skills kind of kick in it's like no we can't stop we have to keep going and then you you are kind of digging a hole of risk deeper and deeper and deeper by doing that well i mean you know there's there is the approach or the th- or the mindset of well if i stop you know what happens if like the client gets angry and they say okay fine you stop i'm going to go get somebody else to do it and they're just like but but i can't have that happen and there's this this tactic back and forth about things like, you know, not like stopping work because of non-payment or stopping work for, you know, lack of direct, you know, design direction or all the different reasons why. Decision making, decisions exactly. that need to be made by the client or by some somebody outside of your office that is just not performing at that level. Yeah. And I think like this one thing that I, I think is important to bring up here is just this the value of an architect and what they're doing is becomes less and less as we don't stand up for ourselves in this process and, and enable that type of behavior to proliferate 
let alone continue, right? But but this is the kind of thing that actually sets an example, especially in the types of commercial work that you guys are doing, which is you you are working with campuses, you are working with companies that are building multiple buildings over their lifetime. And you're setting a bad example for how they can treat the design professionals in this circumstance. So if you set the tone of like, yeah, we'll go along with whatever you say and we'll, no matter what, we'll still try to catch up and stay on task. And even though all of these wrenches are being thrown into the works during the process, then that's how they're going to expect to treat the next one and the next one and the next one. And there definitely are clients out there who are wise to that and know that they're taking advantage of the design staff and don't care. I mean, I can think of particular school districts that treat architects like that. And it's not just one architect like that. They treat every architect that comes and works for them like that, totally taking advantage of them. And we don't have the backbone to stand up to it. So they're like, well, you know, I mean, again, it goes back to that. It's actually twofold. It's, it's, it's the you enter into that, let's just call it an abusive relationship with them. And you, you know, you're knowingly allowing them to basically treat you, you know, poorly by way of either their performance, their uh, cooperation within like the pro, you know, the design process, lack of payment, so on and so forth. And, and we just sit back and accept it because we're also, we sit back and we look at like the long game because we're, we're like, okay, well, you know, we'll accept this six months of non-payment, eight months of non-payment, you know, a year of non-payment. We'll accept that because we're hoping to not only like finish out this project where we ultimately or eventually or hopefully will get paid. But this will lead to more abusive relationship, right? Exactly. I can't wait for those. I can't, you know, and you sit there the whole time and you think to yourself, why, why are we even working for this person? This is such a, a horrible, you know, relationship between client and architect. You know, why would we want to put ourselves through this until the next, until the next RF, RFP comes out uh, or RFQ comes out? Oh, and, totally, you know, man. You just, just like, opened up my Pandora's box. <laughs> oh my, there's so many of those habitually abusive clients that we will continue. We, the Royal, we will continue to go after projects for because they feed the machine and then we will endure the abuse throughout the life of the project so that we can do it again. Like it, it just does not make any sense to me that, and and I guess one of the problems that I see here is that I think a lot of people are just conditioned that design is free. The design process is free, meaning because we are consumers of goods that are complete and they have a certain set of features and you choose to buy it based on that certain set of features and it's a product you had no say in that design process. And so because, again, it's hidden in the thing actually showing up on the shelf, it doesn't seem like there's any value there because, and I guess I guess that's part of it, right, is, is in under 99.9% of real life, design is not a process that normal people are involved in. And so how, how can they appreciate it? And not only that, but how many times has, when they have participated in it, has it been absolutely terrible <laughs> and, and just left a bad taste in their mouth because yeah, there's, so, again, so many reasons how that can go 
poorly as well, right? So we, we've all been through design pro- projects that it's like, wow, this is torture for everybody involved. People can't make up their mind. They can't get what they want. They can't afford what they want. That's your fault, um, right? So you can, you can see how so many, there's so many ways for this to go wrong. And so it's hard for them, even the ones who have gone through it, you know, there's a, probably a 50-50 chance that it's gone well and that they would want to do it again, right? So um, it, it is hard to put a figure on the value of design. It's more of a feeling. And when it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, which is probably more of the, the times, then it's, it's really bad. That's because they can't afford it. And they have to start VEing you know, everything, you know, the whole soul. Anyway, I'm not going to go down that route. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to depress myself. Yeah. It, 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 when you opened up the Pandora's box, I was just thinking about, again, like particular clients who are just straight up abusive, know they're taking advantage of, and they know that it's okay because you accept it because you go for the next project. And they are kind of serial builders in that in that way in that there is another project that they're holding out there as a carrot how many times have you done it where you've endured the abuse because of the promise of a next project and then and then things change and they ended up giving that project to somebody else even though the whole time they're holding it out as a carrot for you to endure this abuse now so that you can get xyz project later I knew you were going that route and, and I've and yes, totally have experienced that. And they're just like, Oh, just want to let you guys know that, you know, this project is coming up too. And, you know, it's very similar to this and it just makes sense that, you know, you guys kind of roll right into that one because, you know, it's a very similar project. You're like, Oh, well, that, that sounds great. And you know? you've got staff with built up knowledge and you know, our standards and you know, the site and you, you bring all these things and then bait and switch. But usually it's the other way around. <laughs> but for them, they're they're doing it to you. Oh, well, they like yeah, they like totally sell you the 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 concept that oh, this is yours. And you're like okay, well then I'll just keep punching me while I you know keep rolling along because I know that I'm gonna <laughs> totally. What was that old old like internet ad? Punch the bunny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's you. Is yeah. the architect? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and you know and we do that though we do that to ourselves as a way of just it, it's it's that fear of survival it is right it, it, it is the yeah i always keep forgetting what you know like fomo means just because i don't pay attention to the acronyms after you know like a life in the army and you know my <laughs> but you're in architecture you've got plenty yeah. of acronyms <laughs> well exactly that's true too but you know and i was uh you know but i mean if this is not the most like appropriate way of us living fomo because like we are so very fearful of missing the next project you know or the next project so we will continue to kind of like just keep taking the abuse of you know of the pro- it's it's not it's the abuse of the promise. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, I like that. I'm writing that one yeah. down. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. NCARB's analysis of practice study is your opportunity to shape the future of architecture. Participate in this industry-wide survey to share your experiences and insights from working in architecture, engineering, or construction. Your feedback will help guide changes to what being a licensed architect looks like, 
and impact how architects collaborate with other professionals in the future. Whether you're an architect or you work with architects, NCARB wants to hear from you. Make sure your voice is heard. Contribute to the analysis of practice study today. Sign up at ncarb.org slash AOP. And now let's get back to our conversation. There's a lot of um, abuse being thrown around here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Well, but, you know, but then, but then there's also the, you know, so like the adverse effects that working on projects that you should have otherwise, you know, stopped working on for, for various reasons. And you continue to spin your wheels on like, say, we don't really have um, enough information to continue the design in this particular area, but let's keep working on that particular area. And so then, you know, you, you go through these whole efforts of, you know, what ultimately is going to be a board of work that then you, as your staff is realizing that they're about to have to redo a bunch of work, you know, now you're starting to slide down the, this, you know, morale slide of like, you know, totally. That's and, a real thing for sure, because you've got, you've got to undo a lot or redo a lot. And you had control over that, right? You chose to continue to work on that, knowing that certain decisions hadn't been made. You know, because it, it cause it's different from, yes, this is like, say, concept design or schematic design where, you know, you're going to like generate, you know, a couple of different ideas and iterations to really kind of like hone in on the right one. That's different from, okay, well, we've all settled on this. This person has, you know, and you know that a lot of the projects that you and I are very familiar with that we've, you know, done similar types of projects. It's, it's more of design by committee. And if you don't get like a hundred percent design, you know, like buy off on the full committee, which you never do, that there is a chance that you're going to be doing something at risk. And sure enough, you know, you start saying, okay, well, you know, this particular person said, this is okay. They like it. We start going with it. Oh, this committee member raises his hand. Wait, when did we decide on doing that? You're like, no, no, no. I wanted to do that. And you're like, oh, yep. you know, and, and, and also like, you know, stoppage of work of like when things like that do happen, you know, it, it's very important for you to get sign off at the end of each one of these and then really kind of hold the client's feet to the fire when, you have this, you know, when there is a design change later on down the road, when you do actually get sign off on something and they say, well, you know, I mean, let's re reassess the way that we had these, uh, let's just throw bathrooms out there. You know, we want to, we want to do it this way, or we want, we don't want a group toilet. We want a bunch of individual toilets and let's go ahead and do that. Because yes, I, I've had this happen where we were literally in construction documents and they changed their mind on toilet room doesn't need to get any bigger toilet. to that for that, right? Oh no, no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> you don't need no. extra space for those walls and compartments. Exactly. And so, so, and they're just like, well, you know, I, I mean, we, we're still asking for eight fixtures, right? So, you know, how, how hard is it to like, you know, find space for those eight fixtures from a group toilet to a and you just, to individuals. Yeah. It's, that's a big deal. Right. And you make those decisions too late and it costs a lot extra and they have to yeah. understand that. But the, you know, but do they? And, and let me just say, it's not their fault a lot of the time that they don't understand that because we communicate in a very different way than they do. 
and w- we communicate through drawings that are abstractions and representations that are not something that normal people know how to read. And how many times has it happened when a client's like, you're like, you signed off on this. And they're like, that is not what I thought at all. That's not what I thought it was at all. And I, I do feel like I, I had a recent episode on my Troxel podcast with a researcher, Roderick Bates, who works at Enscape now, which is a rendering company, but he came out of Kieran Timberlake in their sustainability and research department. And there's a very kind of psychological aspect of his research when it comes to visualization through renderings and using it as a tool in the design process to help make these decisions in a much more natural way for the end user, right? Which totally makes sense, right? If you if you can look anywhere you want and it looks like how I experience space and how you experience space, which is in the 3D environment, and we can walk through it together and look around at things that's way different than rolling out a set of plans in front of somebody and talking through what a bathroom layout is. I've even done it in VR, or actually I didn't do this, but I, I heard firsthand that there was a, it was a cooking classroom, right? So it was like this demonstration cooking classroom at a community college. And they had, the college had like their teachers, but they also brought in like a kit, their own kitchen consultant who was, just making sure that it was going to work for that situation, which is very different than like a back of house kitchen, right? Um, you got to think about sight lines. You got to think about how you're demonstrating things. And, and you know, the, the client had asked for sink, like this many sinks, three sinks in the room, because that's what they thought they needed. And then they actually put the kitchen consultant, the chef guy in, not really a kitchen consultant, but kind of into VR. And they let him, like move plates around and pots and stuff. And so they're like, why is there a sink over here? We don't need that sink. And and up until that point, everybody agreed that they needed that sink there. Even he, even he did, right? Until he got into it in VR and he was like, no. Huh. That's a great time to figure that out, by the way. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before See- they actually put the sink in in real life. So I was, um, and you've seen this chart before of like, you know, the, the buckets of time when it comes to like concept design, schematic design, design development, construction documents. Um, there's a name for that curve. Yeah. And you see that based off of the standard contracts, you know, you've got more time, more fee associated to construction documents in less and less time on all of the early ones. But now, and I, and every time I see that, it just makes my blood boil because I'm like, that's not how we do things anymore. We've got to change that one because, and, and I, and I heard this, this comment from a previous employer who I was just like, why do we keep doing, this? why do we keep showing that particular model when that's not the model that we, you know, really are not only designed to, but we're asked to deliver to. They want to see more stuff up front. They want to see that where is the sink going to be placed? Can I like, you know, understand, do I need three sinks? Do I need six sinks? Do I need one sink? And being able to like visualize all of that, all of that takes time. And so when you see these smaller and smaller early, early works parts of the, the contract structure, 
you know, you're like, well, we're not doing ourselves any justice by doing this because honestly, and we all know this, we know that we want to spend more time up front actually getting the everything kind of like worked out detail wise, you know, or design wise. And when we do that in schematic design and then, you know, design development, by the time we get to construction documents, we actually could and should spend less time creating construction documents because all we're doing is just creating an assembly of all of the details in all of the information that we've already pulled together in the first two first two phases you know so those early phases we need to spend more time in and and I keep looking at that and 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 I even just saw one in you know a, a recent meeting that we had you know with with all of the project managers in the office and 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 I kind of like you know came off mute and I was just like you know when are we going to start to realign that particular chart with the reality of the way that you know, not only we deliver things, but also what the client is looking for. You, know, the, you hit it, you know, perfectly on the head with clients are wanting to see almost, not almost, photorealistic. Of course they do. Of course they want that. Yeah. They want to see photorealistic renderings of what they're getting before they kind of commit to it. It's like, I, I don't want to commit to this particular thing until I can really see and understand and experience the space. Is this space going to be the space that, you know, cause you're right. You roll out, like we'll work in plan you'll roll out the plan and they'll look at it and they're like, Oh, okay. I don't know what I'm looking at. It's a foreign language. Yeah, exactly. A, yeah, and I'm yeah. not, I don't know what I'm going to look at, but I guess if that's what you were saying, it is if, okay, that's a classroom. You know, I, I see, I see four lines with a, with a, a line that has a, like a little loop on it, I guess that's a door, you know, kind of thing. And you're just like, and you don't even think twice about it. I mean, that, that to me is the, the disconnect. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of times they don't know how to list. So let's even like, you know, come to their kind of aid in our kind of like stop work kind of thing. You know, sometimes they don't even know and understand how to make the decisions because we haven't facilitated them with enough information. And so you know, going back to this, you know, when are we going to realign this? Like one of my previous employers, they said, well, you know, that's the way that the contracts are written. Exactly. They do say like, that. Wait, and it is true. It, it is true, but we write the contracts. Well, I, I feel like usually nowadays the client is writing the contracts and we are agreeing to their contract. And that contract is based on the last two decades of, of oh, how of they've contracts. done it. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and that's, that's human nature. Let's let's not rethink this too hard. That would be a lot of work. So I think that that is a huge driver of it, which is we expect these milestones, which are the same milestones we've always expected. They don't know anything about the technology that's changing on our side of the profession that that starts to drive the need to change those contract structures, right? So, and and how can they? Because it's not that they don't want to pay the lawyers to rewrite the contracts. So it, it is a, it's pretty messed up all the way through. Well, I, you know, I just, I completely forgot that one of the other things that uh, this uh, former employer had told me when they were explaining to me about, well, that's the way that the contracts are written was also, that's the way, especially like in public schools and stuff that, you know, you and I've worked quite a bit on. That's the way the funding is. And so, because if you rework the contracts where it's a little bit more 
upfront heavy on the amount of work, which it is. We all know it is. And getting more and more so all the time, right? Exactly. Because of the technology, like because of the tools, they're enabling that to happen, which is a good thing. They're requiring it to happen. I mean, because we are trying to get more and more information and more and more input early on in a project than it is, you know, kind of like later where you say, okay, well, I'll, I'll work out the details of this in construction documents because that's how our, our fees, our fees are structured where we get 40% of all of our fees in that particular phase. And so we'll put all of it off till then. But the demand has been more and more that they want more and more information up front when you, where you don't have the fees, when you, when they're like, okay, well, but we're going to want to have, you know, let's just, let's just flip it on its head. It's like, we want 60% of the, the fees up front in these first two phases. So we extend them out. So you get more and more information. And then you're really only doing like, say 30% of your fees for const, you know, construction documents and 10% or whatever, or maybe it's a completely different fee for construction administration. But you're, but you're, that you're trying exist. to, you know, yeah. <laughs> but you're trying to align it more with the actual, actual length of, you know, yeah, exactly the actual effort of work. Yeah. I think though, that if you put yourself in the client's shoes, especially if they're, if this is a kind of a one-off thing for them, it's the beginning of the project is the most risky time for them because they don't know if they're going to like it. Right. So they don't want to pay a lot for that early phases of design when you do want to make a lot of the heavy lifting decisions so that the later phases are smoother. They don't want to, because it's so, they don't know if they're going to like it. They're, they're scared about that. And so they, there's high risk as far as they're concerned of, they want to wade in slowly, right? And they want to follow that with their dollars very slowly as they go through and they get more and more comfortable and develop trust and all of those things. It is, it is, I, I can see why it's like that. Uh, but at the same time, from, from our standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense because yeah, like you said, this is when the big decisions matter and they have the biggest repercussions on the project if they get changed later. Uh, so we want to make them now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack there. I think I do think that there are, you know, I, we are talking about kind of custom projects here. And I think that there's a lot of room on the table for the not so custom projects. Like not everything has to be the the jewel of, a, of an architectural project. And a lot of people are a lot more open to purchasing things, right? architecture as space modular you know things that are more known quantity type stuff where it's like they could experience it and buy something very much like it for instance um again on a different site right so this the whole idea of prefab modular stuff that does work on more than one um, site it's all about logistics they're a lot more comfortable with that kind of a thing and and honestly like there's a lot of room out there for architecture like that and it doesn't all have to be, like I said, like these jewels of, of projects. And architects are leaving that on the table. I think that there there's other companies coming in and filling those needs, and it could be architects. I think we could make a difference there. I think it might be time to stop work. <laughs> stop the podcast. <laughs> have you ever fired a client? I mean, we talked about this bad behavior, and I, I, I think there is a lot of, 
talk in the office about, you know, grumbling and this bad client and that bad client. Why do we do work for them? And it's lowering the morale in the office and people are quitting because of this client. And no, they're going through project managers because no one can handle them. And yet we still sign up to do that next project with them. And I, I have actually never experienced a client getting fired. And I, I, the reason I bring it up is because people even bring this up like on the Ontario architect thing, like, Hey, is this a red flag? And they'll explain what's going on. And people will just say, run away, fire the client. But I wonder if people actually do that. How many people do that? (laughs) Yeah. How many people go through that process? There's been numerous times that we've talked about, you know, well, we need to fire this client or we need to walk away from this. This is a no-win situation for us. And yet we still keep walking down that path. We'll just find some fresh meat to deal with them next time. That happens all the time. There's been not so much current place, but, you know, I've, I've worked for a couple of uh, places where people will, a project will basically, you know, chew up and spit out numerous like you know, interns and project architects and project managers. And they'll, you will never start or you'll never end a project with the same people that you started with because of how bad the experience is. And so like those, the, the fresh meat from like the last half or the last quarter of the last project start the next project and then you go through the same like churning out and like getting you know like people are like i don't like did we learn our lesson from the last person let's stop doing this and let's go on you know like we shouldn't be working with them and then they move on you you see this kind of like cyclical issue and and you're right i i don't see a lot of people really like firing their clients yeah i I wonder if how discussions of always talk of right but i wonder if there's much follow-through there because i i do again this like gets back to perpetuating the problem if you don't um like clients should have reputations too and and they do internally but they could externally if they are really difficult to work with like other it it doesn't hurt the it actually helps the profession to know that <laughs> there should be yelp <laughs> reviews for clients <laughs> I, I i wonder i wonder however if there's any kind of like vindictive behavior going on where say you have a project and you're hoping for that next project and you don't get that next project and the you know your competition gets that project and you're just like all right well they'll learn you know, and you just don't say anything. You kind of like mutter under mutter under your breath. It's just like, mm-hmm, all right, oh, you know, you'll you'll see. <laughs> That's not good for the profession. But yeah, there there is so much competition between firms. It's like, oh yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's glad just like, we didn't win that one. Why were we even spending our time going after it? Oh, we won't talk about that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I actually went on a job walk once. It was to renovate several schools in the in the district and we were there was a competition to basically design the modernization for this one that a bunch of firms competed for and then based on the performance of the competition various other modernization projects were going to get handed out to firms that were you know high achievers in this one competition and what was the payment for the stipend for this one competition for high level architecture firms to compete for this prestigious school district's work. I mean, it was like 20 modernizations, let's just say that were going to be doled out. 
So, you know, there's hundreds of millions of dollars there, right? Want any guess at what the what the stipend was for the competition? Per firm or total? Per firm. Per firm? I don't know. Uh, for a whole middle school modernization, addition, remodel. Five to ten? Three thousand dollars. Three thousand. Yep. See, I was three thousand dollars for weeks of work for a whole team in an architecture firm plus presentation and deliverables for this conceptual design to compete for work for this 3k and and here's what the the person in charge of facility said do we know that this is a very little amount yes we do and we're doing it anyway <laughs> and and he laughed out loud and that to me was like red flag went shooting up what are we doing in the situation and did we continue because i don't have any say in that i was just the designer right of course we did and that abusive relationship went on for the next 15 years so that's uh i'm trying to think of that's maybe two people their billing rate for i think i it might have been their billing rate for one day. Yeah, for two people? That sounds about right. For two people. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, it's probably that's, like 20 hours for for a, a mid-level person, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you're you're gonna have you're gonna have your like principal designer on there. You're gonna have, you know, like, you know, probably a you know, a project. Oh yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have five people on that. You're gonna have a cu- you're gonna have a couple of interns. You know, you're even gonna have your for probably three three or four weeks. But you're even gonna have your your marketing people involved with it too. Yep, because yeah, because you are and and because this is marketing, you know, right. and you're gonna be writing a contract and you're gonna be like generating all sorts of you know information that they're gonna be having, you know, they're going to have to create, and so you have all of these people working on it for weeks. And you in the in what in hopes you're that get, you get get a job in in hopes of you getting a job, and you're going to spend that you're going to spend two people out of that whole thing for one day. That's the fee, and that's just it's messed up, man. And that's when you <laughs> stop the work. <laughs> Should stop the work. <laughs> da, da, da. Thanks to NCARB for their support of this podcast episode. Visit ncarb.org slash AOP and contribute to the analysis of practice survey today. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A dot com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Talk to you soon.